Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. Welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Our guests this week are Amy Lawrence and Nick Callow. Hello, guys. Hello, hello. Hi, Stoney, Amy. Nice to see you all. Nice to see you all, too. We have a special guest as well who I will introduce in a short while. Now, before we continue, we should apologise to our listeners who were expecting a podcast last week. We did do one, but sadly the files got corrupted and it was lost forever. Uh, it was a good one as well, I thought. What I think was particularly amazing was Amy Lawrence being able to predict a 4-2 win over Leeds and an Aubameyang hat-trick. That was very, very impressive. Uh, anyway, we are back, and not only are we back, we're backed up as well. Uh, so that won't happen again. Uh, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, the day after the away win at Leeds, featuring, as I mentioned, a hat-trick from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So as an opening question, I thought I'd ask... What is your favourite Arsenal hat-trick? Uh, Amy, I'll come to you first. Tempting to go with Carnu, obviously, for the Chelsea hat-trick, which lives on forever. But just for variation's sake, um, there's two European hat-tricks that uh, I look back on with great fondness. Um, uh, Thierry Henry scored hat-tricks in Italy quite often, I think, but there was definitely one in Rome and possibly at Inter Milan. Did he get three or was it two that day? Uh, it, but out, he tended to be sub- sublime in those matches away uh, in Italy for some reason. But I'm going for the one and only Ray Parler hat-trick away in Werder Bremen in the UEFA Cup, I think, in 2000. And what was brilliant about that is I ended up sitting, and I absolutely can't remember the circumstances of why, but on my own in the crowd in the Werder Bremen area and sort of got quite friendly with them. A nice family next to us. Uh, they were offering sort of, you know, to share their halftime snacks and so on. And we tried to converse as best we could during this game. And if you look up on on, uh, on YouTube, it is a, it, it, Parlas smashes in a couple of absolute screamers. And, and at one point they turned around this fa- nice family and said, who is this Ray Parler? I mean, he wasn't the most famous of the <laughs> Arsenal players of the time. Yeah. And I turned around and said, well, you know, he's called the Romford Pele. 
And the best thing about it was that they nodded very, very sincerely at that. Yeah. There was, you know, no no sense <laughs> of that being in any way comedic. And um, they thought Ray Parler was one of the best players they'd ever saw, ever seen that night. And I guess he was that night as well. Nick, what about you? I'd love to live in the Amy Lawrence world because it sounds such a lovely place to be. And if it wasn't so well documented, we'd think she's making it up. No. Sharing sandwiches <laughs> with the Werder Bremen fans and everything. <laughs> I'm surprised. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me back on, on with oh, you guys. Nick. It must be Europa League week. I know, I know how the, uh, the squad guys feel now. <laughs> oh. I'm going to make the most of my opportunity. So uh, you have to think of me again next time, next time we're on. And I'm just amazed that Amy didn't select the hat-trick where we sat together at Filbert Street oh, my in God. August 1997. Yeah. And uh, the one only Dennis Burkamp scored three goals, which all made Match of the Day's goal of the month. It was a three-all draw, and I think I was working for the Independent that night, and it was a nightmare for a journalist because there were three goals in the last minute of the game. They were. Uh, the Dennis scored two unbelievable goals, two good goals to put 2-0 up. Leicester came back to 2-all, and then he scored that ridiculous goal where he brings it down with one foot, does a little twist, and actually with his other foot. And then he went on to score a similar goal for Holland against Argentina in the World Cup, which I think Amy was at as well. Steve Walsh spoiled the whole night by scoring a last, 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 last minute winner, uh, equaliser for Leicester. But I mean, that was the night when, for me, Dennis Bergkamp announced himself as one of the greatest players that Arsenal's ever had and will have. And I remember at the time, some people still weren't convinced about him. And a couple of mates would tease me, saying, oh, your mate Dennis Bergkamp wasn't very good last week. And I said, well, that is my mate Dennis Bergkamp there. And for me, it was one of the greatest hat-tricks. I was going to go back to Malcolm McDonald in 1976, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think the Burkett one eclipsed it. Well, I have chosen the Malcolm McDonald one from oh. uh, 1976 because <laughs> I was there. It was a freezing cold night in January or December or something. And uh, Newcastle came to town. Supermac had recently signed for us and he, and he got three in a 5-3 victory. And, and it was just thrilling, really. It really was. And I also remember, aside from Everton at home, about 12 years ago when Stephen Pienaar ran in on goal and chipped our goalkeeper. And I think we drew two all. It was the coldest I have ever been at football. Uh, so I'm choosing Malcolm McDonald um, versus Newcastle in 1976. Um, now... Uh, European football returns this week and there's no better time to sign up for all our unrivaled coverage at The Athletic until February the 25th. We're offering new subscribers a half-price annual subscription. That's less than £1 a week for an entire year. To redeem that time-limited offer, go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Now, the team should shortly be making their way to Rome to play what I believe is the home leg of our Europa League uh, round of 32 tie against Benfica. And we have a special guest on the podcast today to talk about that and other bits and pieces. We have a man who played for both Benfica and Arsenal. It's Stefan Schwartz. Hello, Stefan. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I really enjoyed our history and memories from the hat-trick uh, scoring by Arsenal players. I can see it in front of me. Do you remember any games in you played where an Arsenal player scored a hat-trick or a hat-trick you scored? You said you hadn't scored a hat-trick yourself, but... Uh... Any, any hat-tricks that are particularly memorable for you? No, I think what you said, uh, that's amazing. But uh, Canu, Bergkamp, Parler, Supermac uh, in the European games as well. So I can see it in front of me. So 
That's As great. you said, I'm, I'm honoured and I had the privilege to play for the, both giant European clubs. You did. Well, I was going to ask you about Benfica first. Are you an ambassador for Benfica? Is that right? I do a lot of work for Benfica. So I know the club very well. I know the people. Uh, of course, I'm based in Portugal. So I know Benfica very well. And how good are they at the moment, just by the way? <laughs> Should uh... we fear them? <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, Benfica will always perform on the European nights. Uh, at the moment in the league, uh, uh, they are not very famous. They are underperforming, even though they have good individual players. But as a team, they haven't gelled together. Uh, they like to have a lot of possession. They try to create, but it's a little bit too slow and too obvious. And when they lose the, lose the possession, they are very vulnerable. They haven't the right balance, so the opponents take the advantage of the counter-attacking. Stefan, there seems to be absolutely loads of young Portuguese players at the moment um, coming abroad, coming there's tons in the Premier League and and making a big impact across European football. Is, have they got something good going on there in terms of youth development? What are they doing so right at the moment? How come there's this explosion of, of talent? I think it's, uh, it's not just at the moment. It's always been... Uh, over the years and decades, uh, they're producing a lot of good players, young players. Uh, I think the philosophy and uh, the most imp- most important and the diff- most difficult in the youth to see the talent, but you have to you have to see them five years ahead how good they can be and have the knowledge and to get them at, at the right right age and to educate them. They are very creative, a lot of competence. Lot of uh, good coaches in the youth system with a pro license, and it, especially for the youth, the clubs are giving good opportunities. They're giving a lot of psychologists following them during the whole days. So the academy are working really, really well, and that's in general. The Portuguese football is very good to produce young, talented players for Europe. Do you remember the Benfica Arsenal? Matches of 1991. Were you at Benfica at that point? Yes, I was. Uh, I played in the centre midfield. Uh, Arsenal at that time was probably the best best team in Europe. Benfica, we were very good as well. Probably one of the six best team in Europe. So it was a very competitive game. Of course, it was a blow that we only played a home leg first and only get a draw and conceded a away goal. And uh, we knew a tiebreaker. And especially the Portuguese teams didn't have a lot of success before. Uh, and I remember the first 50 minutes at the hybrid, uh, the smash was, was crosses, they were attacking all over. And we were yet slacking that it was 1 0 after 15 minutes. But during that, after 15 minutes, we get into the game, we get better, and we deservedly won the game because during the 90 minutes and the extra time, we produce some very, very good stuff against a very excellent, good side as Arsenal. You sound like you're a bit of an Arsenal fan deep down. As a, I don't know if you grew up supporting Arsenal. But what was it like to join the club when George Graham signed you? Amazing. I mean, uh, to play with uh, players like Seaman and the back four, Tony Adams, Lee, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, Martin Keown, Seabold, uh, Ray Paul uh, as a young boy, Ian Wright. And uh was a very competitive league. I came to a as a great manager as George Graham is, as a winner. 
Of course, I came from Benfica with a different style of play, different approach with uh, the ball on the deck, a lot of passing. Of course, I came as a central midfielder. It was more in the beginning. I have to adjust and adapt, not just the football-wise, but uh, as well the culture. But it was more to win the second ball, win uh, play from the opponent's half. But I learned a lot as a young player to play with such a great players from Arsenal. And how was uh, how was your drinking when you arrived? Did you um, did you fit in in terms of the drinking culture we had at the club? I must uh, say that the team spirit, the team bonding was amazing. Uh, I never seen. I has been fortunate with my teams and clubs where I've been. It was all the teams have been good team bonding, a good good dressing room. Uh, I didn't see it too much because uh, when I played for Benfica, we were. We had to be at home at 11 o'clock. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked with Arsenal. Uh, no, they, uh, you know, in Portugal it's like 11 million. At that time it was 10 million habitants in Portugal. And maybe 6, 7 million is Benfica supporters. So you can't go out and have a drink. <laughs> so if you say you have, a, if they say, if you drink a beer, then they, then they say that you had 10. So that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we are very careful. Yeah. I mean, you must have known what was what was coming. I mean, Amy sort of mentioned this before. Anders Limpar, you knew from the Swedish national team. So you must have had a little bit of information as to what it was going to be like there. I mean, the professionalism from the players was second to none. Uh, and the team spirit. Of course, I think it's at that time, no, no foreign managers or coaches was that involved in the English football to develop it further. And uh, of course, a little bit of the pub culture is is, uh, is the culture of English uh, football, like it's, it's in Italy that there were red wine or the French or Spanish or Portugal. They, instead of beer, they drink one glass or two glasses of red wine. So you have to adapt and understand the culture uh, where you're going to. And, and that's very important as a player as well. It was a very eventful year you spent at Arsenal, wasn't it? I mean, I wonder what was the, the highlight. Was it getting to that European final, or which obviously not because you lost, or winning the Makita Power Tools trophy when you first came to... <laughs> <laughs> no, I said uh, many, many great games, but I think Sampdoria away. Oh, yes. Uh, cup, uh, cup Winners' Cup semi-final, and uh, we were all, and uh, against that Sampdoria, Sampdoria team with such a great players. And the performance we we made on that night away was unbelievable. And I was, uh, I scored, I scored a one-one, and I believe. And then we took it to the, to, 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 took to the extra time and to the penalties, and and we could celebrate uh, to go through to the final in the cup winners' cup. That was the highlight. I was fortunate enough to be at that game, and it was it was absolutely wild. It was like a classic. European night where the energy was incredible. And I, I look back at um, a YouTube clip just uh, earlier on this morning to remind myself. And the atmosphere is absolutely incredible. And it, this was in the days, I think, where um, uh, it wasn't particularly all-seater stadia. And you see when the goals go in that there's like the, the Italian fans are kind of running because it wasn't full behind the goal, like like from halfway back to the front, like maniacs. And I think after one of their goals, um, the, the scorer rips his shirt off and twirls it round. It was a complete crazy game. And I don't know about you, but because it had been 3-2 in the first leg at Highbury, uh, uh, Sampdoria went 3-1 up in the, the the game in Italy. And it was as if it felt like it was all over. They were really like flying. 
And then you've got that goal. But he's got to forget that now. Here's Stefan Schwartz. And it's there! Oh! Right at the death. Arsenal have saved it. 3-2 tonight. 3-2 from the first leg. It's all square again. Stefan Schwartz. From a free kick. Really late. They were all whistling. It was, uh, you know, they're trying to make it so hostile. And I think some people almost thought it was like a consolation goal. I didn't even realise because it was so frenetic and there was so much going on and there were so many goals. It was like, and still Arsenal lost that game 3-2 in the second leg. But actually, that was enough to take it to penalties. Did you have a clue what was going on? Because we didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, now you know, it's uh, the players. The players were fantastic and, uh, and good skills. But, you know, football is more than that. Uh, it's about uh, personality, character, to help each other, uh, teamwork, and what that was the night we did it uh, even more. Uh, very all the all the players very strong-minded. We knew what we have to do. We knew it was only one goal to take it to extra time, and we believed in it. Uh, and I mean the personality, the characters of the the, the character of the players. Yes, show what what it was about uh, to be an Arsenal player. Were you tempted to take a penalty, Stefan? No, not really. Not really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pressure, but of course, uh, but we, we managed, we had, we, we had the right players who took them and the main, main goal was that we scored the few, most of them, and of course we had uh, one of the great goalies uh, ever. Uh, David Seaman who did did his his work and uh, helped us to go through to the final. I was going to ask you, Stefan. I mean, I mean, when you go through to a penalty shootout and you got David Seaman in goal, you must feel fairly confident. Very confident. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when you look at his career, it's you don't you never see him that he's throwing himself to make a great save. It's always right there and get the ball in the hands. It's. His positioning and the vision of the game, the uh, understanding of the game, it's unbelievable. And of course, he's, he's a massive guy and uh, he shows his personality, shows his presence. Uh, so I think the, the opponents, uh, they knew that it's going to be difficult to score against him. Stefan, as I said, it was quite a monumental season you were at Arsenal. If only, if my memory serves me right, George Graham got sacked in the February of that ni- 95. What was it like being at the club then, what was it, what was going on inside the changing room when you heard that news that this incredible father figure, figurehead of the club, had been sacked? I mean, what he has done for Arsenal uh, as, a, as a player and a manager, it's been there's been a lot of history and story and trophies that he brought mm. to the club and to the, for the club as to supporters. Of course, it was a shock, but it's something that we players couldn't get involved in. We have to still performing on that uh, on the training pitch and do our work, concentrate and focus on the games in, in the league and the Cup uh, Cup Winners' Cup. And somehow you still managed to get to the Cup Winners' Cup final again that season. Yeah, in Paris. Uh... Terrible, <laughs> terrible. Night. You don't what seem the... so keen to talk about this. <laughs> I didn't different. want to bring it up, I must admit. <laughs> no, I'm, we were very, quite convinced it's going to be go to penalties after extra time. And yep. as you said, as you said, we were quite focus uh, convinced that we could have won it through uh, through the penalties and then it's of course it's come like this uh, strange ridiculous. special goal ridiculous is goal the word you're looking for <laughs> the last the last kick of the game so was a pity was a pity 
Uh, but that, that's life. Stefan, you, you moved from, it was only a season, uh, I think, more or less, that you were there. I mean, had a, quite a few moves in, in your career. Did you just feel that it was difficult to settle or you wanted a different challenge? Or how come that, that you moved on to Fiorentina and went to try Serie A? I think it was a, a cocktail of a few things. Um, First of all, I think I, I, I played for Benfica four years. I adapted well to the culture and the style of game, the how we played. Uh, it took a bit to adapt to the, the UK. Uh, even the, I can't claim blame anything on the club. I, I would say it's probably the most professional club ever I've been to. But Stefan, Stefan, was it the fact partly that Jules Graham got sacked and you had? You know, a caretaker manager in Stuart Houston. There seemed a lot of upheaval at the club. Did you just think, you know what, maybe it's time to move on? No, 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 not really. I think, uh, first of all, I, I was a young young man, 24, stubborn. Uh, <laughs> wanted to change a little bit, few things. Wanted to play more through the midfield. Uh, but I learned, I feel I learned a lot from uh, the time in Arsenal and uh, I think if I would be an older, older player, a little bit more mature, maybe my decision would be a different. But I felt some, some of the games, I felt that I wasn't used to my, uh, most of my potential during the games. And that, uh, I think I get a little bit frustrated to, yes, go and try to win the second balls and play from the opponent's half. Uh, so there were a few things, but I'm really, Please and honour that they didn't want to let, let me go, Arsenal. Uh, the supporters still remember me for doing my one-year season. And I still have a very good relationship with Arsenal and with, uh, with my ex-players. Well, at the time, I used to write articles for the, the Gunners magazine and Stefan was the front cover photo for the first ever issue in 1994. I don't know if he remembers that. Uh, the great Gunners magazine. I've got a copy somewhere if he wants uh, me to send him one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, please. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll sign it with someone else's name. <laughs> but actually, what I wanted to ask was a non-Arsenal question, if I may, because, of, of course, you ended your career at Sunderland. You were their record signing when you went there in the, the late 90s. 99, yeah. 99. I don't know if it's true, but it says online that you had a, in your contract that if you were to travel into space, your contract would become wholly invalid. Were you planning on becoming an astronaut at the time? Or is that just a made-up thing? No, no, it's it's true. Uh, but not to be, became an astronaut, but uh, to go into the space with the first commercial space shuttle. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> All right. But uh, Sunderland were not too keen on it. No. <laughs> no. Fair enough. I want to ask you about the current Arsenal team. I don't know if you've um, you've seen much of us uh, lately. Uh, anything you particularly like about them? I like the young players. They have a lot, uh, lot of. Good attitude, character, pace, creativity. If you're looking on the wings uh, up front, I like uh, even Kieran. Shows a lot of character, personality, responsibility for a young age as a defender. Uh, of course, uh, I think if you look at the players, it's a good individual players, but as a team, very, quite inconsistent. Uh, it's when you know, when you look at Arsenal, if they have, don't have the best of the games, then you know they will have a tough time and probably not win the games. Uh, Arsenal has to perform on a high level uh, to win the games, but that's the, how the Premier League is, is today. It's very, very competitive. 
of course, the other teams have invested a lot. Uh, so, but it's, lately, has been looking a bit better than in the start of the season. And knowing Benfica as you do, and you obviously got a bit of an eye on Arsenal. Um, do you think there's a favourite for this tie? Do you think someone has the edge? I would say Arsenal are a little bit more favourite, but not that much. But Arsenal scores, sort of score. The strikers sort of scoring goals, which are positive signs for Arsenal. Benfica's. I would say don't create too many chances and have to score the need <laughs> a lot of chances and of course the defence of the both teams are vulnerable Benfica as Arsenal so I think it's still going to be a tight tight games but Arsenal are a little bit more favourite than Benfica I just wondered if you had any views or opinions on Mikel Arteta who's made quite an impact in his one year so far at Arsenal but Obviously, still has quite a lot to prove in his first job as a boss. What do you think about Mikel? No, it's fantastic to win two two trophies in that's a short time. I think it's given about confidence. Of course, this little soap opera, a big soap opera, it was uh, during a couple of months. It didn't help. Didn't help the team. Uh, we know. We all know that to have a what is right or wrong. I don't know, but. To, to be successful, we need a strong and solid uh, dressing room, for sure. Hopefully that's the way it'll go. Uh, Stefan, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Ah, it's great. My pleasure, and thank you for the invitation. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences, like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you to Stefan Schwartz for joining us and those brilliant memories particularly of the Sampdoria semi-final, not so much <laughs> Real Zaragoza in the final. Uh, but thanks very much for joining us. We're joined now by Art de Roche, athletic writer. Hello, Art. Hi, guys. How are you? You know what? We're OK. I say we're OK. I was speaking for everyone. I think we are all OK. Um, let's talk about some of the pieces uh, that you've written. Um, Art, you wrote a piece, um, basically, uh, Hector Be- about Hector Bellerin and Cedric um, and who should go in that slot. And you analysed quite deeply uh, what they've been doing. Um, d- you didn't really come to a conclusion, though, did you? Well, I've got my own conclusion, that, but I just wasn't sure if it, if it was best for me to say it at that point. I think, for me... Uh, Weighing up the options, obviously Bellerin's a lot more involved in progressing the ball from, I guess, uh, the middle third to the final third, which uh, we've seen quite a lot this season, especially since Mikel Arteta came in last year. But um, with Cedric being a bit more active in the final third, aside from Bellerin's goal um, against Leeds, I I think uh, I'd probably favour Cedric in that role. I think he's... Um, done an all right job as a rotation player since joining the club last season, but um, I don't feel there's any harm in giving him a run out at right back when uh, Kieran Tierney comes back into into his slot at left back. This is interesting, isn't it, Amy? I mean, I mean, you know, you're talking about uh, Hector's goal last night against Leeds, um, and he he played well last night, and he 
he does have doubters, but he sort of keeps producing and keeps linking the play. Perhaps Cedric's um, distribution and crossing is better, though. Maybe. I mean, I think sometimes the difficulty with Hector is there's a sort of judgment based on when he first came through. And there was such enthusiasm for him as a, a, a very young player coming from Barcelona and uh, had that, he had great pace and energy. And then when he had his injury, people sort of said, oh, not the same player. And I think there, there had always been a few question marks about him learning his trade as a defender in terms of positionally and so on. But I do kind of think for any young defender, um, it helps a lot if you have a functional midfield in front of you uh, for a start and a kind of settled back four. And I'm not sure that's really always been the case for Arsenal in much of Bellerin's time. So um, it's funny to think of him still learning maybe at this at this age in his mid-twenties, but there is still stuff for him to develop. But I, I like him. I think he's got attributes that uh I you know are things Arsenal need and as a um you know I think his his character that he brings to the team is he's he really not that it's necessarily the reason you get picked or not but he deeply cares about Arsenal he does and I think that's quite valuable to be honest as well um but it's an look it's it's nice for uh the manager to have options in that regard and lots of people have rotated fullbacks you know in recent years quite successfully uh, it's not quite so easy to do on the other side because Kieran Tierney is so obviously the main man on the left-hand side I, I absolutely agree and uh, Nick uh, I mean it, it was sort of strange with Hector Bellerin because there was a moment when he seemed to bulk up quite considerably and then we all heard he was on a vegan diet as well it was slightly uh, confusing I think to quite a lot of us I'm a bit Amy school here because I've got a soft spot for Hector and I think it does it does say a lot for him and his contribution to the he's been at the club such a long time he's got Arsenal running through his blood he's the sort of guy that would, would take it very seriously about the short sleeves or the long sleeves when he's captain these things that are you know just part of his sort of uh, DNA now. He's an Arsenal man and he gets what it means to be an Arsenal player and what the club needs going forward when there's so much sort of turmoil and change in, in recent years. And he gets a lot of stick. He's not as bad as people are saying he is sometimes. And as Amy says, he's compared to his sort of youth, more youthful self when he was like the fastest man in the world, only beaten by Usain Bolt. <laughs> and he could, he could sometimes cover up for his, mis- his mistakes. Yes. But I think he's develop- developing into a more mature player Having said that, I'd love to see Art's experiment put into practice and we could try Cedric at right back for a bit once Tierney is fit. If it works, then great. If it doesn't, then, you know, let's keep Hex all the time. Well, it's nice to have cover on both sides, isn't it? And we've also now got cover uh, in the uh, in the sort of attacking midfield area. Um, James, uh, who can't join us today, sadly, but uh, James wrote a piece about Martin Odegaard's uh, first Arsenal start against Leeds last night. Um, Art, I'll come to you first. How do you think Odegaard played? I mean, he did, James did a minute by minute bit and he was enthusing about one particular touch but he looked more than useful didn't he yeah I think what really helped him was having loads of technical players around him as well we had uh, Emil Smith-Rowe-Stein off the left and then Bukayo Saka I know he's more of a winger but he's still very sound technically and I think uh, with Ceballos as well just playing off those two each, uh, in midfield each other I think they really played well and uh, with Odegaard as well, what I was 
really, really excited by, I guess, when watching was just how quickly he moved the ball. Quite similar to Smith Rowe on the left. They, yes. they moved the ball quite uh, quickly with minimal touches. And then when you have to deal with that as a defender, that's just going to create even more problems. And I think um, having those players uh, start alongside each other is something that's quite reminiscent of that Arsene Wenger Arsenal from, I guess, the early Emirates era, we'd call it, I guess. Um, uh, I know um, maybe that may not be the best time for most Arsenal fans, but that's uh, when I was kind of growing up and I I really did like that Arsenal side with Nasri Fabregas and uh, Alex Slab at the time as well. And I think um, that's really kind of... uh, I don't want to say he's going to do something spectacular every game, but uh, it's just something that uh, I liked to see uh, from the, the Leeds game yesterday. I mean, Amy, it was a really, it was a really decent start, and you know, uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang obviously it really helped him. Um, he, he he enjoyed having uh, those technical players behind him. Oh God, it was uh, uh, extremely exciting at points. I mean. Erdegaard is clearly finding his way, and he's not played a lot of football this year. So I think it would have been. Um, unusual had he come in and been dynamite from the get-go so to have a competent if not like completely dazzling uh first start I think is absolutely fine but the contributions of particularly I'm sacking that first half I I almost couldn't find words I I just think he set about leads and they they just couldn't handle him felt like they had to do whatever they could to try and stop him and they couldn't no there was nothing they could do and uh, it was really fantastic. And what's amazing about Saka when he's in that kind of mood is it doesn't matter if he gets his shirt pulled or if his temperament is brilliant or if he gets kicked or if he gets pulled down or if he just has a bog standard foul. He, his determination, he just gets up and goes at them again without getting too emotional, too sort of het up. Uh, he's being targeted now, which is a sign to an extent of quite how good he is. But the way he's handling it and just continuing to attack teams uh, is something else. And um, on Odegaard, really, I'd, I'd love to hear from Nick because I know you were in the stadium there yesterday. Um, and watching on TV, I was you get an idea of his movement. He seemed to be coming deep quite a lot. He seemed to take a touch and his, his instinct, maybe unlike Smithrow and Saka, is not to b- burst forward, it seems, but to maybe drop back almost in an Ozil-esque more of a manner to, to be trying to find those slightly more unusual, deeper spaces. Uh, how did you find that he looked, uh, Nick? You're not wrong there, Amy. I mean, that was, and I'll tell you what, what a privilege it was to be at the stadium last night because beating Leeds is something I've been, I was raised to really relish. <laughs> and uh, although I was there as my capacity as a neutral journalist, we hate Leeds. And that was just a fantastic <laughs> night. And, and, and to see Odegaard's debut, I felt a bit sorry for him at the end of, a colleague of mine, George Cummins from the BBC, did one of those pit side interviews afterwards. He said what a lovely lad he was, how he feels at home at Arsenal. You can see on the pits he seemed very sort of settled there. He said the weather's great because it reminds him of at home in Norway. Yes, yeah, the rain. And yeah. I just thought, I thought the poor son, he could actually play a few months, have a great time at Arsenal and disappear without any fans getting to see him play in the flesh, uh, which will be such a shame. And to see him, as Amy was saying, to see him, the way he moves around, he's just very light-footed. He does pick up very intelligent positions. He wanted the ball a lot. He, and when he gets it, he moved it quickly and he didn't try to be doing too much. He just, he's not, you know, they call him the Norwegian Messi, but we're not going to see him dribbling past three or four players and dinking the ball into the net, I don't think. 
But at the moment, you know, as he sort of eases his way into the team, he will use the ball very intelligently and hopefully he'll be slipping those balls forward to Laka and Aubameyang to, to score lots of goals in the way that Ozil could have done and should have done more often. It's nice to have options. Amy, you wrote a piece, uh, a great piece, by the way. It was very enjoyable and also a little bit sad to read this piece about um, about the mercurial talent that is Nicholas Anelka. Um one thing that you said that really struck home, 12 clubs in seven different countries. Um, I think that says quite a lot about his ability to settle in one place. I think in his entire career, he only reached 100 uh, league games at one club. Which was Chelsea, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I have a soft spot for uh, Anelka and he's clearly got baggage and controversial uh, elements to his his way he played the game and the way he the way his career um, meandered, let's just say. But I, when I look back at that boy who turned up controversially uh, at the age of seventeen from Paris Saint Germain, and they went crazy in France when he uh, he he joined to, to come to Arsenal because for no money, it was right. half a million quid, and I think that it didn't even need to be that. That was almost the gesture to sort of save the kind of complete and utter breakdown of, sort of international relations almost. But the, Fre- the French called it L'Affaire Anelka and it was it was the major story across uh, their sort of sports news outlets for quite a, a while because the, they had this principle and, and the Clairefontaine Academy, which was a, a market leader, if you like, at the time, um, if you think of Anelka being in the year below Thierry Henry and D- David Trezeguet, just when we're talking about strikers, you know, to have a generation that produces that amount of quality within sort of 12 months. Um, they used to take 20 kids per uh, per year and it was a residential two-year two course in, in uh, at Clairefontaine. And the idea was to polish these wonderful young talents and turn them into potential great footballers of the future. And a lot of them went on to have incredible careers. And... Anelka, you know, for, for them to put in that amount of uh, of work, and and he was technically Paris Saint Germain player, and he'd made his debut, and he'd scored for him, and what have you, and to move abroad before he'd really made much impact, um, probably a handful of games or so, they just thought that was appalling in France, and it was really Arsenal and Wenger's knowledge of the French market there um, taking advantage of the fact that at the time there wasn't much in the way of compensation and they weren't really allowed to offer professional contracts to sort of 17 year olds or however old he was at the time so he couldn't even have a proper contract like a, a, a really big one at that time in Paris and of course I, asked, I thought hi I I'll see if we can get this guy and Anelka being Anelka which is he is a he is a very single-minded man and I think always was and carries himself in a way that he just doesn't care what other people think he was a bit like, look, I haven't played that much in, at Paris Saint-Germain. I think I'm good enough, so I'll go somewhere where they'll play me. And he just went. And in that couple of years that he was at Arsenal, um, it was watching, you knew you were watching somebody absolutely exceptional, a prodigious, prolific, uh, you know, it, unbelievable talent. It was so exciting. And it, of course, it coincided with the time of great excitement anyway, because, you know, Vanguard come and began to build what would be a, you know, maybe the first sort of modern title winning type of team with this great mixture of British and, and continental styles. Um, 
And he was fundamental and brilliant. And I think what comes across in the question when you know, I was asked, so, you know, just write about the mad career of, of Anelka and you think, oh, God, you know, there's a lot of ground to cover there. But it kept coming back to this question, which Nigel Winterburn articulated really well when I, I asked him what he thought about this. Essentially, leaving when he left, you know, he drifted, he went from club to club to club. Should he have gone to Real Madrid at that age when he did? Things were going so well for him at Arsenal and he was in an environment where he felt comfortable. He was with a manager in Arsene Wenger who he trusted and respected. And if he'd have stayed that bit longer and matured more and left a bit of a legacy, maybe his career would have been different. And maybe, he, you know, did he need to go from club to club to club to club to club? And as Nigel said, perhaps he would have had a different career. He didn't have a by any means a bad career. He did achieved loads, but could it and should it have been more? And if he had not been in such a hurry to keep moving clubs, he could have maybe had a outstanding, iconic uh, image legacy at three or four clubs instead of having scattered around dozens of clubs, some of which went better than others. Uh, and was that all down to Nicholas or was that a little bit of influence by people who encouraged him to move? It's hard to say, but you know, you, you won't find him being critical of what he did. He believes he did all the things that, that happened for the reasons that felt right to him at the time. He's a fascinating character, that's for sure. No doubt he is a fascinating character. Oh, I mean, how, how where, where were you of Nicholas Anelka? You probably, you didn't see him play for Arsenal, but you would have seen him play for other teams. No, I didn't. So, I <laughs> I first saw him play when he was at Bolton, I believe. And then obviously mostly uh, at Chelsea as well. I think um, the one image that sticks in my mind was when he scored at the Emirates for Chelsea and he didn't celebrate in that. I think it was a 4-1 win in 2009. And he also... A vague recollection yeah. of this. Yeah. And, he, and he scored, I think he scored a few for Bolton against Arsenal as well. Um, so I had more memories of him hurting Arsenal than helping. But I, feel, I still feel that um, what I was seeing was a great striker. And we obviously saw that um, when he won the league at Chelsea as well with, <laughs> with Ashley Cole there as well. Um, but yeah, I think over, overriding kind of memories are of just what a good striker he was when he was in the Premier League with Bolton and Chelsea. And obviously he had that little episode at West Brom as well, which uh, I don't think many people will forget. So yeah, those are kind of my no. thoughts. <laughs> no. Um, uh, Nick, you interviewed him. I think I mentioned earlier, Stoney, that I used to contribute to the club's Gunners magazine. And one of my roles was to do sort of feature interviews with some of the players. And after Anelka scored in the FA Cup final in '98 to secure the first double for the club since 1971, something I thought Arsenal would never do again, do the double again. I, I did an interview with Anelka, and for something different, I went on a little trip with him around the Arsenal Museum, <laughs> which I don't know if you've ever been to it, but certainly it was not the biggest of uh, exhibition places, but they've got a little sort of bit for, with, you know, for Arsenal legends, and there's Mickey Thomas's boot from when he scored the winner at 89 Anfield, and then we came, there was Charlie George's shirt, the, the yellow shirt from 71 Cup Final, and I said, oh, this, you know, I said, look, this is Mickey Thomas did that. And I said, that's, I said, now this is what it means to do the double. This is Charlie George's shirt. And you are going to go down the history as one of the greatest ever Arsenal players has ever been because you've scored a goal that's won the FA Cup final to win the double. 
uh, thinking that he might go on to be a, a great player and so on. But just doing the double, there isn't anything bigger, I thought. And he just sort of shrugged his shoulders and smiled. Mm, OK, yeah, maybe. And, uh, <laughs> of course, what happened afterwards was so sad the way he, he left the club. And I remember the, the chant when he left was, Chim Chimney, Chim Chim Chiru, who needs a Nelka when we've got Canoe? And how soon he's forgotten. And he got dog's abuse every time he came back to Arsenal. So I always thought it was a shame because I think Not for me. if it hadn't have been for the influence... No, nor me. And I think if it hadn't been for the influence of his brothers and so on, he might have stayed there. I'm sure Arsene would have loved to have kept him for many, many a year. And he might think maybe my career is not so bad and I've made millions of pounds and so on. And like they always say, you know, George Best, where did it all go wrong? Maybe he think it didn't go wrong. But I think as Arsenal people would like to think he should have spent his whole career at Arsenal and be in the museum alongside Charlie George. By the way, a couple of things. One, that museum, however small it is, it's bigger than Tottenham's museum. Right? <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to ask you briefly, just about last night's game. I've never been. Uh, yes, well, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, last night's game briefly. When they brought Willian on, mm. um, I've seen pe- various people moaning uh, about this. I, we, we were imagining every Arsenal fan sitting at home going, why him? Why him? I'm assuming that was the same feeling in the stadium. Yes, but it just... You know what? I thought I thought exactly the same thing. Then I thought, hang on, this game's sort of done and dusted and, and Arteta must be thinking, I'll give him a game. He's, going to, he's bound to get a goal or make a goal and it'll just his confidence will be up and everyone can stop asking me questions. Why do I pick this guy? Is he my son? And so on. But... Before we knew it, it looked like it, look, it looks like Leeds were going to come back. It's Leeds scored two goals, and he's and all he's done is give the ball away. Yeah, and it's just I, 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 I almost feel sorry for him. I know he's getting well, well paid and so on, but you know, I don't think he's actively out there. He's not some Chelsea agent that some people call him. Actively out there trying to disrupt the club and you know do deliberately bad things for when he's on the pitch. He wants to do well, and I, I feel for him a bit. You know, he's an Arsenal player, and I, I don't think if there was crowd in there, would they be booing him? Maybe some people would be, but. I mean, he needs to be kept out of the firing line. At least he doesn't start any games anymore. So, um, yeah, but kept out it, the firing line for the next two and a half years. Yeah, and then <laughs> That's just a personal yeah. opinion. Well, well um, put, Stoney. Yeah. In all seriousness, though, that you know, I, you you get the feeling that Arteta is trying to manage. Willian's situation. I mean, yes. like you say, it's so. 4-0 in a home game. You're looking like you're cruising. Like, this could be the one that helps you sort of get something to build your confidence. But he's not the only player who needs looking after in terms of that kind of thing. And I think Pepe has just begun to find some momentum mm. and some rhythm. And then he he might have loved to come on against Leeds. And, you know, everyone noticed that moment when Alioski sort of sulkily sort of... Uh, um, trudged past when he got substituted as Pepe was was uh, warming up. Same amount of contact as at the Leeds game as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can imagine that Pepe would have loved to come on and maybe try and get a goal or something and turn yeah. around and go, oh, look, you were rubbish and you got substituted and uh, here we go. And it, I just think there's a danger of, while I completely sympathise that Arteta has got this uh, asset that he was very involved in bringing in that he wants to make work, there's lots of other people who need a bit of time as well, a bit of looking after, a bit of feeling good. I mean, Martinelli is another one who's, who's been mentioned, you know. They all want minutes. They all want competition. They want to feel that uh, vibration. So I think it needs to be fair. Otherwise, you run into potential other problems with people think within the club or within the squad maybe saying, well, why, aren't I, why don't I get half an hour against Leeds? I'm sure this is not the last time we'll <laughs> talk about this. Just one final point. You might edit it out, but 
after the match, you know, the players come, the play, the substitutes come, they usually sort of run up and down the pitch just to get a few sort of uh, miles in their legs. But they played a little mini sort of three, four, five-a-side match. Did William play the, well? Is that and what you're William, telling us? I'll tell you what, it was while Arteta and someone doing their pitch-side <laughs> interviews on the TV, and I thought I might take a video of this. And I, bet, and I could see William, I bet he does some special tricks. He was through one-on-one on goal. He just made it about five foot wide <laughs> in a practice game with no crowd, yeah. no pressure. And I thought, oh my God, oh. he really has lost it. Maybe his legs have just gone. As I say, we'll probably talk more about this uh, in, the, in podcasts to come. I say probably, definitely is what I mean. Um, let's have a quick game, and it is a quick game, of Random Arse Generator, uh, where we, uh, Tayo, our producer, gives us a, uh, a name of a former player and... And we have to talk about him. Uh, the name of the player this week is Thomas Rosicki. Um, Art, I'll start with you. Thomas Rosicki, give us a fact or something you know about Thomas Rosicki. He's currently director of football at Sparta Prague. Nice, I like it. Amy? Isn't he a guitarist? <laughs> I, I know, he's know, got some he? sort of slightly punky band <laughs> that he was always in. Uh, I think right. he might even sing as well. He's definitely got a musical uh, sideline. Great. I hope that's true. I think it is. Uh, Nick? I'll give you one little fact about Thomas Rizicki is that he's he had 15 years between playing for the same club twice. So he started off Sparta Prague in 2001 and he re-signed for them in 2015. There's some people that don't even support clubs that long. So that's just quite a unique sort of career turnaround that he went 15 years between two clubs, the same club. I'm not quite sure how to put that. All right. I what, think you what, put what it. A player. No, we got we got the general gist. Um, I I always think of him playing balls with the outside of his um, with the outside of his foot, playing passes more than anyone else I think I've ever seen. Thomas Riz- is it Rizicki or Rizicki? By the way, just does anyone Nick? You said Rizicki there, but well, it's I think it's Rizicki, but I always like to say Rizicki. I always like to say the names on my own terms. <laughs> <laughs> you know who I used to like at Arsenal as well? Terry Henry. He was great. Oh, Terry Henry, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, the outside the foot. I like that one. Art, have you got any more? He scored quite a few goals against Tottenham. <laughs> yes. Oh. That was a great goal against Tottenham, yeah. Including in the 5-2. Yeah. One of the 5-2s <laughs> uh, when he scored. Oh, that was a marvellous afternoon, that one. I remember the passion when he scored that goal and the noise in the crowd. I think he got the third or the fourth before Theo walloped in the fifth. Amy? Well, I'm just remembering. I remember how excited I was about uh, when it was announced Arsenal signed him. It was one of those where I can remember where I was because it was during the World Cup of 2006 in Germany. And I was at a game, I think, in Hamburg. I have to look back at the stats. I can't remember who was even playing, but I was at a game between two clubs who weren't, sorry, two countries who were not the Czech Republic. And the Czech Republic were playing someone on the same day and he scored, I think, a couple of brilliant goals. It was either that day or the day before. And it came through that, like, there and then that he was signing for Arsenal, like, which was quite odd because it seemed to be right in the middle of the tournament. Um, and... I, it was quite exciting because he, he he had been playing in Germany for Dortmund and everybody that I spoke to in Germany raved about him. And he just had a, a phenomenal, uh, brilliant goal scoring game for the Czech Republic. And it was one of those where you thought, oh, great, you know, the club's done something brilliant and got hold of a, of a really, really top player. So... Yeah, just say that. Apparently, I think he got 100 caps for the Czech Republic, which is not shabby. A couple of things that Taylor has just sent to me. Uh, injuries robbed of the best years and the exceptional player. That could apply to almost anyone who's <laughs> been at Arsenal in the last 15 years. Um, and also the most, most Arsenal 2 player ever, this side of Cazorla. I think that's a fair point, actually. He had a lovely way about him. 
any any others before we move on? I think he did left a sort of slightly disappointing memories because we expected so much from him. The little Mozart, wasn't he? he was to orchestrate the team and he just never quite did it apart from in odd flashes. And although he was, had about 10 years at the club, he's a beautiful one to watch, but I think we expected and hoped for more. Still, it was a joy to have watched him on occasion. Uh, let's have a song from each of you before we go. Ah, oh, I'll start with you. Oh, no, I forgot about the song. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Don't worry about it. Art. It's all right. It's all right. Amy will have uh, something. Uh, uh, well, what, what have you got, Amy? I haven't got as many this week as I normally do because I sort of forgot as well, slightly a bit like Art. But bizarrely, I have this moment, and I'm afraid I don't. I, this is a stupid story because I can't even give you the name of the song. But one of the things I remember about the Sampdoria away trip, um, where, where we had Stefan Schwartz on, was that. But it was being in some bar or somewhere in 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 Genoa, and it, there was some sort of like nine. There was a weird nineties techno song that came on with, and it and and the, over the top of it was like it sounded like the laughing policeman, but like on acid or something. <laughs> it was just someone laughing manically over this kind of really heavy techno. Thing. And if I can, I'm, I'm going to make it my mission to try and find this thing. We, we, we did, I did have it on tape because it became so symbolic of a great away trip. Um, failing the fact that I don't have that song to hand. It's by Josh Wink, Tyo has told me. Josh Wink really? did the tune. Oh, well, I'm going yes. to check it out and see, if that's, see if, that, if that's the one, then I will be very happy, Tyo. Um, Josh but... Wink, it is. <laughs> But if it's not that, I was going to, just in honour of Bukayo Saka, because he he was just, like, so incredible, uh, was a um, expansions, move your body, because just the way he just keeps going. It's a great dance track as well. It's beautiful. Uh, Nick, what have you got? Well, I think Amy's claimed the trophy, retained a trophy <laughs> as ever, and I was slightly caught off guard. I should have remembered about the song thing, but when you mentioned Leeds earlier, I just uh, I was a little bit young to remember it, really, but the 1972 Cup Final which leads one against Arsenal. The cup song, cup final song that year was called Arsenal, We're On Your Side. And it was a really great, old-school, simple cup final song by the 72 cup final squad. Arsenal, we're on your side. It's fair to say that everyone is on Arsenal's side again. I just I always um, picture them wearing velvet jackets. They <laughs> might be the England World Cup squad. Frilly shirts looking like nightclub comedians. It probably um, involves some of the same players. It's possible. As Arsenal are uh, on their way to Rome, uh, I've picked a song by uh, a, a group called Blink-182 called Quarantine. OK? Uh, I don't know if they'll have to go into quarantine when they come back, but those rules have come in today, so it seems quite apposite. Um, that is it for the Handbrake Off podcast for this week. Thank you to Amy Lawrence, Art de Roche, Nick Callow, and our special guest, uh, Stefan Schwartz. Uh, also, thank you to Tao Papula, our producer. Um, I've been Ian Stone. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Mm-hmm.